Uh, we're in Nehemiah chapter 4 today, so if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn there, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll get into this. Uh, let's just pray. Lord, uh, I thank you for this morning, and uh, Lord, thank you for this uh, beautiful outdoor uh, location. Thank you for the Pines Bible Camp. Thank you for them opening up to us so that we can just kind of expand ministry during this time. And Lord, I just thank you uh, for the work you have done uh, on this property over the many, many years. Um, uh, lives that have been changed, uh, children that have come to know you, uh, leaders that have been trained and sent out from this place. And Lord, that's, <clears throat> that's just uh, a great legacy. And we just pray your blessing upon the camp this year. Uh, right now as the leaders, uh, the full-time staff, for this summer, are, are praying, are thinking through, are training for the coming uh, year and, and uh, this summer. Lord, would you just give them a real strong sense of your leading, your guiding, and your purpose uh, for them this summer. And Lord, we look forward to hearing what you do here um, in the coming days. So Lord, we just thank you so much for that. Lord, as we come to your word now, we want to hear it uh, with the same spirit that has written it, uh, preserved it, and opened it up for us. That that spirit who raised Jesus from the dead living in us, uh, the spirit who uh, comforts us in our weakness, uh, the spirit who empowers us to live out the ministry you have for us. And so, Lord, as we look to your word this morning, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, plans have a way of getting sidetracked sometimes, don't they? Um, I had hoped that this, uh, this spring or, or, or early summer, I'd be able to, you know, you know I got my, my tax return in, so I was hoping to talk to the neighbor. Re remember a few weeks back, I talked about my fence that's falling apart. Well, the other day, you, you know, you, you make plans and then you look at the reality and you maybe have to adjust your plans. So the adjustment came when I, went to, uh, when I went to the hardware store to pick something else up because I had to get a part for my wood stove. Uh, but when I walked up and right on the door was cedar panels, $250 each. And I'm like, all right, well, that's waiting until another year. <laughs> Plans had to change. My resources aren't going to get there. I, I don't know. I think, uh, I think a concrete wall or maybe cinder blocks would be cheaper now. Uh, for all of that, uh, I don't know. It's like, this is crazy. So um, sometimes our plans have to change. Sometimes we have to adjust to the reality that's around us while we continue to maintain focus on what God has called us to do. And this week and next week, as we look at Nehemiah chapter 4, 5, and 6, the first part of 6, we're going to see that Nehemiah had to adjust his plans, adjust what he was doing to face the challenges and the threats that were coming his way. So Nehemiah chapter 4, and uh, we'll read the whole chapter. Now when Sanballat heard that we were great uh, building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews and he said in the presence of his brothers and in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? 
Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yeah, what they're building, if a fox goes up on it, he'll break down that stone wall. Hear, our, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, do not let, uh, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem were going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God, and set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come upon them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So, in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and all the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears and bows and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that, uh, that each labored at the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them had spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. And this is the word of the Lord. So in the first 12 verses, verses 1 to 12, we have the problems. Nehemiah faced three critical problems at this point in the building program. There was mocking and jeering and a verbal assault. And then there was a plan for invasion and physical attack. And then there was the discouragement of the community that was doing the work. So it went from verbal attack to potential physical attack to a discouraged people. 
and he had to deal with all of that, all at the same time. And moving forward on mission, moving forward on the mission of God, always creates tension and conflict. It always does. Moving forward challenges the status quo. It challenges the way things have always been. Moving forward challenges past experience and present assumptions. And I've heard it said a number of times, if you're not getting criticized, you're probably not leading. Leaders get criticized. It's what we sign up for, actually. New directions inevitably are responded to from the perspective of the past. What worked then is always brought forward into the present. But vision moves us forward into the future, into the way things need to be for the current realities that we're facing. Staying the same is easy and comfortable, even if it's not working. You know, it's better to just kind of not deal with that conflict and maybe the way you parent or the way your marriage is going and just to kind of find a happy medium where you just kind of avoid fighting rather than actually getting into it. But then nothing's going to change, right? And nothing gets better. Nehemiah confronts these three levels of opposition and conflict. And I think these are instructive for all of us. Two of the threats are external and one is an internal matter of the heart. All threaten to shut down the project that Nehemiah has been called to and has involved the people in. And his responses are instructive for us. So as we seek to move forward and pursue God's vision, I think these are very instructive for us. The first one, the first issue he comes up against is verbal assault, right? There's Sanballat and Tobiah and they're sitting back and they're watching this and they're going, oh, look at this, this is stupid. How can they even think that this is gonna amount to anything? They're not gonna, they're not gonna be able to build that wall and even what they're building, what a joke. How does Nehemiah respond to it? He just prays about it and moves on. You know, words are, he's like, I, I don't have time to engage in a war of words with you. What is the point of doing that? He doesn't even respond to them directly. He just says, hey, God, hear what's going on here. They're despising us. So how about you, you need to step in and deal with this. And they continue building the wall. So he prays. He does not engage in a war of words. He doesn't defend the project. He doesn't defend himself. He simply prays and says, God, you deal with this. We're going to keep working. He first prays and then he persists. Don't get distracted by criticism. It's so easy. You know, you get that maybe one or two emails or that one visit that, that really kind of, you know, you shouldn't do this, or you should do this, or you should do that, or th this is going wrong, or that's going wrong, or this is going to cost too much. And it's like, okay, there's always going to be reasons why we shouldn't do anything and stay the same. But we need to persist when we know the mission is from God, regardless of the criticism. Know why you are doing what you're doing. Know why you are investing your life in the direction you're investing it in. Know why you're spending the time to do whatever it is you're doing, whatever God has gifted and called you to do. Know exactly why God has put you in the place you are right now for his kingdom purposes and persist in that regardless of the pushback. 
know why you are doing what you're doing, and then evaluate criticism based on the source. Nehemiah knew these guys weren't like trying to help. <laughs> this wasn't constructive criticism. This wasn't, you know, hey, we'd like, we, we want to see you succeed in this. They wanted to make sure that their power wasn't threatened and that these people were kept in check and that their hold on the region was secure. So Nehemiah is like, well, that's not going to happen because God has called us to something greater. So he evaluates the criticism based on the source and the purpose, and that's what we need to do too. When people come at us, uh, when people are trying to help us, <coughs> or when people are just trying to hold us back, we need to evaluate what's the source, what's the purpose. Nehemiah does that. And I, I love what, what, uh, what he records here, uh, verse 6. So he prays, and then he says, so we built the wall. There's all these, you know, there's this army, there's two regional governors that live right next door to us and they're coming against us. And he just says, I prayed and then we continued building the wall because the people had the mind to work. And the Hebrew word there is actually heart. The people had the heart, the will, the determination to work. And so they simply continued the project. Verbal assault, mocking, joking, undermining the confidence, Respond first and engage in a war of words and then persist. Don't get distracted. Keep moving. Second, verse 7 and on, we get a physical threat. Now they're like, they're gathering the troops. They're gathering a, a, a group of people. And at this point, if you were to look on a map and see where all of these people come from, it's north, south, east, and west of Jerusalem. They're now surrounded by enemies and they're saying, hey, Let's gather up, let's get our armies together, and we'll, we'll just kind of encircle the city, and hopefully these people will get the hint that if they don't stop, we're coming in to stop them with the sword. So what does Nehemiah do? <clears throat> and we prayed, and we set a guard. So he does two things there, verse 10. We prayed and we set a guard. We prayed to our God and we set a guard. Faith and action need to go together. Need to deal with the reality. You need to do something about the reality of the situation, but you don't leave God out of it. The order's important. Pray and protect. Pray and prepare. And we set a guard. So notice the pattern so far with Nehemiah. Verbal attack, pray, and just persist. Uh, threat of physical attack, pray, and prepare to respond to this. Now, everything kind of is going to get uh, opened up a bit here as, as we continue through the passage. We're going to get into a lot more detail. But here, here is what happens next. Verse 10. The people got discouraged. I mean, if you're hearing the criticism, I mean, they're, 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 they're shouting these things out probably with an earshot of the, of the people building the wall. Uh, they're gathering armies surrounding Jerusalem, and the people are probably very aware of this and can see it. And so they're starting to lose hope, and they're starting to get discouraged. The challenge of discouragement is probably the biggest thing Nehemiah faces here. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing, 
there's too much rubble by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Again, they focused on their resources, the broken down walls in front of them, the threats surrounding them. And notice what they didn't do. They didn't talk about the strength of God. They didn't talk about the provision of God. They kind of forgot that God was involved in this. Just four verses earlier, Nehemiah is like, hey, they all had a heart to build. Here is like, we're losing heart. And our enemies said they will not know or see until we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And then at that time, those Jews who lived near came from all directions and said to us 10 times over, you must return to us. So here's what's happening. Not only are the people feeling defeated in the moment, but also all of their family, that's like the, the cities surrounding Jerusalem who are even closer to these armies are coming into Jerusalem and saying, hey, you got to leave the work now and come back home and help us defend ourselves. Like, like we just have to abandon whatever this is, this wall building, and we got to go out. you got to come back home. The people closest to you may always be your greatest supporters, but they can also be your greatest distraction from the mission God has for you. They couldn't see any other way around this. Nehemiah is going to get that in, in a moment. But the people closest to you may be your greatest supporters, but they can also be your greatest distraction. And how many people are like, yeah, I really feel like called to go to missions in Iran or North Korea. How many of your families are going to go, yeah, that's awesome. This is going to be like, oh, you're crazy. This is nuts. Like you got a good job. You, got, you know, that's a totally unsafe place. I mean, they'll, they'll lock you up. But what's more important, God's call on your life or your family's fears? I heard a story not too long ago of a guy down the coast who really felt a strong sense from God that he needed to go on a missions, like, like he and his family had to pack up and go and serve overseas somewhere. So he put his house on the market, they liquidated their assets, they showed up at the airport and had to pray, God, what country are we going to? You think his family didn't go, are you crazy and out of your mind? Of course they did. They did everything to stop him from doing this, but God had so convinced him and his family that they needed to do this that they kind of were walking the Abraham path, right? Leave your, your, your home, your family, your stuff, and go to the land I'll show you. Just start walking. Sometimes those who are closest to us are our greatest support, but they can also be the greatest distraction. And that's what's happening in, that, in this moment. See, it's always easier to give up and go back to the way things were before you started pursuing God's purposes. It's always harder to pursue a new way of doing things because God's purposes are never easy. They're never easy. There isn't one story in this book where the people are like, oh, I'm following God, man. It's like risk-free. <laughs> Following God has risks, always. Always. The only guarantee he gives us 
is that he'll be with us. When he, when he calls Moses in the burning bush, Moses is like, nope, not going to work. Nope, not going to work. I don't want to do this. God's like, I'll be with you. I'll give you the words to say, I'll be with you. When, when Joshua was like, you know, now we got to go and fight these people, and I don't know, God's like, uh, be strong and courageous, for I will be with you. And on and on it goes. God's call for us to make disciples and go into all the world is not easy. But what is Jesus' promise? Surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. When we're involved in God's mission, the only guarantee is his presence. And that should overwhelm us with courage. And that should overwhelm us with hope. And that should overwhelm us with purpose to stand in the face of any criticism or pushback. Nehemiah's response here is so critical. In the face of the first opposition, things went well. The people had a mind, a heart to work, but the renewed physical threat and the size of the task at hand was wearing away their resolve to see it through. But look at Nehemiah's response here. It's, it's so great. In, in verses 13 to 22, the, the, the overall response is he adapted to the situation and stayed on task. You know, it's not the first kilometer in a 10-kilometer race that's the hardest. And it's not even the last kilometer of a 10K race. I used to run uh, long-distance stuff in high school. And uh, the very last one I, I ran, it was in Cranbrook. It was the EK10K. Uh, the first five kilometers were a breeze because I was running with a partner, one of my teammates, uh, a guy named LT Murray, and uh, we, we ran for five kilometers in step, and even our breathing, we just synced in, and we just pushed each other for the first five kilometers. And about the five, six kilometer mark, I was like, I know you can make a better time than me, so go for it. I gotta pull back just a little bit. I gotta, I gotta pace myself for this last bit. It's at that five to nine kilometer mark that's the hard part. But then when you round that corner and you see the last 800 meters, you can really go. But it's that midpoint. It's the quitting point. And our uh, our uh, staff is going through a book right now called H3 Leadership. And one of the, one of the key things they talk about in, in the, the latter half of the book is the stick with itness. And one of the lessons in there was you've got to push through your quitting points. Crash through those points where you just want to throw in the towel and give up and go away and do something else. Look at how Nehemiah leads here, verse 13 to 22. First, he is always constantly in prayer. We, we need to remember this, that prayer is foundational to moving forward on the mission of God because it's his mission and we can't do it without him. Nehemiah models prayer, and he is involved in prayer all the time, and we need to do the same. But Nehemiah doesn't just pray, he acts. Right? James 2.17, faith without works is dead. you got to move from planning and praying to action. But the action that Nehemiah takes here falls into, I think, three things we, we learn from this. 
that in his actions he is flexible, he adapts his resources. He is clear, he knows the purpose of God for the community at this time, and he is invested. So first he's flexible. Okay, so we've all been working on the wall, but now we face a threat, so now I want half of you we're going to stick you right where, where the enemy can see you, the lowest parts of the wall, the places where they could break through and attack us. That's where we're going to stick you guys with swords and spears all armored up. The rest of you, you keep working. Uh, but if, you're, you know, if you can work with one hand, then you hold a spear in the other or a sword in the other. And if you've got to use two hands to do the work, then keep your sword at your side. So everybody is equipped and ready to respond to the threat. And so he equips the people and he reassigns the resources so that they can respond quickly to the threats. And he deals with the sense of family, so he groups them together in families. You will always fight more viciously for your own family than for everyone else's, right? When it comes right down to it, and Nehemiah knows that, and so he says, hey, we're going to group you together in families. A lot of them were already kind of grouped that way to do the work, so it's just a matter of reminding them. And then he's clear, keep fixed on God's presence and his purposes. Uh, look at verse 14. I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and all the rest of the people, and this is after he's kind of set stuff up. I stationed the people by their clans with sword, spears, and bows. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Remember God. Remember the God who called you, the God who has equipped us, the God who has provided for us. Remember the whole story leading up to this point. Remember God who is great and awesome. And the language here is meant to really remind people of even, you know, remember the Red Sea experience. Ooh. <laughs> Not sure where that came from. Remember the Red Sea, remember the Exodus, remember the, 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 uh, when we had to take over uh, this land and how God fought for us. And remember God who was great and awesome first and fight for your brothers, sons, daughters, wives and homes, faith and action going together. So first of all, he's flexible. He, he adjusts the plan to make sure that the, the purpose can be met. He is clear, he is fixed on God's presence and his purpose and the community implications of that. He reminds them that the project is bigger than themselves. It's about the family, it's about the community. And notice how invested Nehemiah is in and through all of this. He's not talking about, hey, remember, uh, if we go down to verse 15, that our enemies heard that it, it was known to us. Listen to all the first person plurals here that God had frustrated their plans. So they, they knew that the people knew. Remember, uh, they, the threat before was, hey, they, don't, they won't even know it until we're on top of them. But now they know. So the, the element of surprise is gone. That's totally been diffused. Uh, we know that the attack could be coming at any time, so we're totally prepared to meet it. And God had frustrated their plans. Again, he turns the attention back to God and his, his provision in the midst of this. And we all returned to the wall, each to his work. So immediately, 
after adjusting everything, they get back and they stay focused. And Nehemiah is invested in the whole section from 13 to 22 is in the first person plural. Nehemiah invested himself and his resources. So let's pull us all together. Pursuing God will always create conflict. Pursuing God's purposes will always create conflict. Challenges will always come. People always stand on the outskirts of our lives and of our church and mock and joke and try to derail us and they may even launch deliberate attacks. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. The world hated you, it's going to hate me. This is, don't be surprised at the trials you are facing, Paul says, as if something strange were happening to you. This is normal following God's stuff. Challenges will always come as we pursue God's vision. Pursuing God and his vision challenges the status quo. Pursuing God's vision says the way things are and the way things have been have needed to change to meet the demands of today and tomorrow. And this will always create tension because it calls us to a place of discomfort and it always costs us something. Henry Blackaby and experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God, says this in a, a number of times. You cannot go with God and stay where you are. You cannot follow Jesus and just watch from the sidelines. There's no armchair discipleship, armchair ministry. You cannot go with God and stay where you are. So if we're ready to move with God, we need to pray and persist. We need to pray and prepare. We need to be flexible. We need to be clear and we need to be invested. So how do we live this out? Two things that I think help us along the way and ground us in a place where we can grow well. Oil of God's purposes. First, Daily Bible reading. Nehemiah knew his scriptures. This, for the first prayer in verse 4 is so soaked with the language of the Psalms of lament. His first prayer right at the beginning of the book is so filled with language from the Psalms he knew his Bible. Daily Bible reading will challenge the status quo in our own hearts and lives because we will find there that we have to adjust our resources especially if you struggle with daily Bible reading, you have to adjust your resources. What time are you going to cut out for this? We have to adjust our resources and our main resource we have to adjust is our time. We have to be clear and committed to why do we need to read this book? Why do we need to study it? This is the very word of God. He has spoken. If we seek his direction, it comes from here. And we have to invest ourselves. Nehemiah didn't expect the priests to do all the Bible reading. He did it himself. Nehemiah didn't expect the priests to do all the praying. He was constantly in prayer himself. Just a regular guy building a wall. Daily Bible reading will challenge the status quo of your own heart and your own life. And then you need to make adjustments. Second, 
Nehemiah, we've hit this over and over. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And like Nehemiah, we need the resources of God to endure in the calling he has on our lives. To follow Jesus, to help others follow Jesus, and to live out loving God and loving others is something only the power of God can accomplish in us and through us. Without connecting to God, we will falter, we will lose hope, we will flounder, and we will fall away. Remember the Lord who is great and mighty and fight for your family. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in Christ, who has done much, much more than restore a broken city. Jesus Christ came to restore broken humanity. And I want to close today with thinking through how Jesus is way better than Nehemiah. Nehemiah offers us some great lessons, but look at what Jesus does. Jesus came to rebuild not a broken city, but broken humanity. Jesus came to rebuild broken lives, restore broken hearts, and heal broken relationships. And he faced ridicule and mocking and scorn. Who does he think he is? If he's the son of God, he can come down from that cross. If you're really the son of God, tell those stones to become bread. He faced the ridicule, the mocking, and the scorn, and he prayed, and he persisted. He was attacked and surrounded, and he didn't thwart the attack. He died. He prayed and he prepared in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. His followers lost hope. They gave in to fear. They betrayed him. They denied him. They abandoned him in his greatest moment of need. But he rested on God's purposes and remembered God's might and power and entrusted himself to the Father's care. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus is greater and has lived through the mission of God way deeper than we ever will imagine. And why? So that through his shed blood and broken body, he would defeat sin and death so that we could join in his holiness and life. Jesus came to rebuild broken lives, restore broken hearts, and heal broken relationships. And like Nehemiah, he spent lots of time in prayer and he persisted in God's mission and he prepared He faced discouragement and the discouragement of those who followed him. But like Nehemiah, he came back to this place of remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Pursuing God and his vision will always create conflict and challenges will always come. People always will stand on the outskirts and mock and joke and try to derail us as we try to live out God's mission in our lives and in our church and in our community. And so we have to pray and persist, pray and prepare, be flexible, be clear, and be invested. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us. And, and Lord, as... Um, as we wrestle 
with discouragement sometimes. Help us to go to this chapter in Nehemiah and see how to overcome and to pursue your call for our lives. Lord, help us to pray. Give, give us a burning desire to connect with you. Lord, give us the hunger for your words so that our prayers would be infused with Scripture. That we would pray from, from hearts and minds full of the word that you have revealed to us. So that when we come across the criticism, the attacks, the discouragement in our own hearts, we would remember the Lord who is mighty and awesome. Who not only parted the Red Sea and led people through the wilderness, but we would remember that the great and awesome God did not stay aloof and distant from us, but took on flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. That we would remember that Jesus Christ, though being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and became a servant. Gave himself up to death on a cross so that we could inherit the righteousness of Jesus. That the healing of humanity is only found in and through Surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, help us to come to you. As Nehemiah did over and over, hear them, O Lord. Stand up for us, O God. And help us to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then help us to walk in faith and walk in action. One step at a time as you reveal it, your plan for us. Open our eyes to see the world around us through your eyes so that we may adjust our time and our resources for the mission you have for us right now and help us to move forward in confidence in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, benediction. This will be the same one as every week throughout this series from Hebrews chapter 13. You'd think I'd have this memorized by now. I'll work on that. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.